Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. So Paul is praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of His glory of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe according to the working of His mighty power which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in heavenly places. So as you think about this, what's Paul's desire? for a people that are saved, for a people that have the Spirit of God, for a people that have have the indwelling Spirit, what what more could you pray for? Paul's praying that they might comprehend and realize what they have in this calling, with this inheritance, and with the power of God that dwells in them. So as you think about that, listen to what Paul says. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. So, do we need a spiritual understanding? For us to understand the things that God has given unto us, the natural man is not able to comprehend that. The natural man is in opposition to the things of God. That's the truth. The Bible, I mean, it's really quite amazing. You read a whole lot of the Bible... And depending on who you're talking to, you know, people say, I don't believe that. I don't believe God's like that. I don't, I don't see it that way. We're reading it off of the pages of God's book and people says, I don't believe it like. This is the way I think about it. I tell you what we need is a spiritual enlightening that we could understand the Word of God as it is written and quit trying to think about it with the natural mind and the natural emotions and think that our thinking is on the same plane with the plan and the purposes of God. Now you just ponder on that a minute. I'm going to argue with what the Bible says and I'm going to say my mind is on the same plane and the same level as the creator of the whole world. No, I tell you, his ways are past finding out. And who am I, the clay, to speak against the potter? So Paul is desiring that there could be a realization and a comprehension. What can I expect? Uh, By this word, he says, the eyes of your understanding, that you might know what is the hope of his calling. What is the riches of the glory of the inheritance? What is the exceeding greatness of the power? I don't believe we understand that. And you know, it's going to take God enlightening us for us to understand that. So what we'd like to look at is this, that you may know what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints So, just word for word for just a minute. So, the glory. So, we're inheritors. 
were children of God, heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ, and this glory that you might understand, you might be enlightened, that you might know what the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saint. So this glory, what are the riches? What riches have you and I inherited? What have we inherited? What do we have? And this is in us, in the saints. You see that? The inheritance is in you. What is the hope of His calling? What the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? So if I'm an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ, as I think about this, think about what the Lord Jesus endured in His life. And think about us, that the glory of God... Now, again, that word glory means very apparent, honor, praise, an opinion, a judgment. So Paul... Back to Galatians, I believe that's the best example. They glorified God in me. What were they doing? They were acknowledging the apparentness of God in the man, Paul. They were acknowledging that God had done a work in this man. So for us, that the inheritance, that there might be glory to that... Think about the situations that we can be put in that makes us, as our sister said, makes us to doubt, makes us to wonder. I I realize this, that Job never did doubt that he was God's. But put yourself in Job's shoes. Would you possibly doubt? Is it possible that you could doubt? What the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. Read with me in just a place or two. Galatians chapter 4 verse 6. Galatians chapter 4 verse 6. For because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You know what we have? We have the earnest of our inheritance. Now, what is the earnest? The Holy Spirit, right? That's the earnest. What helps us when we maybe doubt? When trouble falls on us? When it looks like that God's against us? When it looks like that the world's caving in. When it looks like there's a lot of things that, you know, I'm living for God. I just don't understand why this is happening to me. What can we take courage in? That we have the indwelling Spirit. We already have a portion of our inheritance, which is the indwelling Spirit of God. And Paul writes to the people at Galatia, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son in your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You know this? In our trouble, we have the option, we have the privilege 
to call on God as our Father. We have that ability to call on God. What does he say? What does he say in Hebrews? I believe it's chapter four. What, 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 what kind of a shape are we in? Well, listen to, listen to Brother Paul here. Let us therefore come boldly. How can I come boldly? The Spirit of God cries out of my heart. Abba, Father, I have a, and the, and, and a portion of my inheritance. You know, what he, you know what Paul is praying for? That the glory of the inheritance, that, that God, that it might be made apparent to the passerby. It might be made apparent to the viewer that's viewing what you're going through that you are a child of God. How, how can that happen? Paul says, Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain... How can I come to the throne of grace? I'm a child of God. I'm an inheritor. I have the earnest of my inheritance now. And you know what's going to happen? Through our trials... Through our tribulation, our fellow man, our lost friends, our family that doesn't believe, our family that professes and has no possession, they may be able to see the glory of God in you as you cry out unto God, a friend, Abba, Father, I need your help in this situation. I need you, Lord, to be made apparent in my life. I'm your child. You've gave me that promise. You've gave me that. You've gave me the assurance of that. And He's gave the church at Ephesus the assurance of that. But don't you reckon there can be things come by that makes us to doubt? Ikea, He wants us to comprehend and to realize who we are and what we are in Christ Jesus. Again, Hebrews 4, 16. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. You know, the lost man don't have that. The professor does not have that. It must be someone who is a possessor of the inheritance in the saints. That is in you. The inheritance, you already have a portion of your fulfilled inheritance... Christ was the first fruits. You know what we've got? We've got the first fruits of the Spirit of God. We've got the first fruits of our inheritance. So, Ephesians. that the riches of the glory of His inheritance... What is? What is the riches? I tell you, when there's no hope, praise God, there's hope. When it looks like that God has forsaken us, we can take God to His own Word. When, when it looks like the devil has turned all of the demons and all of our friends and all of our family, as Job was, against us, know this, we have something within us we have that we, what is? What is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His heritage in the saints? Paul tells us in Colossians chapter number 1 and verse number 27, to whom 
God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, when all the world's caved in, you know where the hope of glory is? It's in you. In you. In the Word of God and in you, in you is Christ. In the saints. Read with me in 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You know, I believe Paul right here in 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. What, what, what's, what's he looking at? We have this ministry that we have received. We faint not. Would the devil like for us to faint? Would our flesh like to give up? Would we like to relax? Would we like to give over? Would we dislike to say there's no use? Absolutely, the flesh would like to say that. But Paul comes on in chapter number 4 and verse number 7, but we have this treasure in an earthen vessel that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Where's all of this going on? I tell you, there's a, there's a fight between what's going on on the outside and what Paul knows on the inside. There is a great battle of, with the outside, not only with the devil, with the world, with, with the unbeliever, but with our own flesh, with our own desires, with our own doubts, with our own fears, with our own desires. There's that battle in the outward man. But Paul says, you know, he said, I'm distressed, but you know, I'm not forsaken. It seems as though everything's against me, but I've not given up hope. My hope is within me. Thank God that we could know that we have this inheritance in the saint. What is the glory? What is the glory? What is this hope that we have? The hope of His calling? And what the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints. And you think about this. What about the Lord Jesus Christ that would go uh, to the garden and pray, God, if it could be Thy will, can you and I have that? We have that same Spirit within us that He had within Him. Outwardly, did He desire to be separated from God? No, He did not. Lord, if it could be possible, let this cup pass from Me. But what did He do? Nevertheless, not My will, but Thy will be done. Where did that come from? I tell you, that same Spirit that was on Him and in Him, uh, He was God in the flesh. Uh, friend, but know this, He was God in the flesh. I'm not saying we're little gods, but I do say this that we have the down payment, we have the earnest of God in us. Where do we go? We come to Him. The inheritance in the saints according to the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. 2 Corinthians 4 and seven, and following, persecuted, not forsaken, cast down, not destroyed, bearing about. Now listen, what's the purpose? 
What's our purpose? Think about our purpose here. What is Paul praying that the Ephesians... Why? Why would he pray for this? I tell you, you're on display every day. You are on display. Paul says, I believe it's in Corinthians as well, he said, we're made a spectacle. You remember that Scripture? We're made a spectacle to the world. So bear this in mind. Every day, all those that are around you, you are on display. Whether it be for the glory to God, or it be a disappointment unto God. We have a multitude around us that claim salvation. But I tell you something, friend. There is no evidence of salvation. There is no priority for God. No putting God in first place. And you and I are put on display a spectacle to the world. Listen to what Paul says. Paul says, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. So Paul says, it looks like, it looks like we're going to die. And he said in, I believe it's maybe in the first of this epistle, we had the sentence of death in us. You know what? They're expecting us to die. They're expecting us to give up. They're expecting us to throw in the towel. But I tell you, Paul, Paul wasn't going to give up. You know something? It was the same thing that was in him that was in Jeremiah. When he said, I'm never going to mention his name again, it was a fire shut up in his bones and he could not withstand. Paul said, I'm bearing about in my body day by day the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, we live. We are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also, what's he saying, might be made manifest in our mortal bodies. Remember this, a verse or two before we read this, that we have this treasure in an earthen vessel that the glory might be of God. I tell you, the world is looking for you to compromise. The world is looking for you to fall. The world is looking for you to fall by the wayside. Paul said on the outside, it looks like I'm going to die. But I tell you, there's something on the inside that pushes me on, that makes me to continue, that encourages me, that strengthens me, and it is Christ in you. You know, Peter said, Lord, I'm not going to forsake you. Lord, I'm ready to die. I'm ready to die with you. How long has it been since we thought like that? Just a few days ago? But let me ask you, when the little maid said you're one of them, what did you do? What did you do? Reckon the little maid... You reckon those that are around us need to see somebody that's anchored and founded and grounded in Christ? I'll never forsake you. I'm ready to die with you. 
Are we? Are we? The Lord said you're going to forsake me tonight. Somebody is going to forsake me tonight. Somebody is going to throw in the towel. Somebody is going to sell me out. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. (laughs) You remember what John said? John said, I must decrease and he must increase. We read to you this morning, if a man wouldn't take up his cross and follow the Lord, he couldn't be his disciple. What's he going to have to do? I tell you, he's going to have to decrease that Christ may increase. I'm going to have to decrease in me that Christ that is in me might be able to be seen. You can think on this. There's somebody on the cross all the time. It's either me or the Lord Jesus. He's already been there. So it looks like from that point forward that He brought me into the family of God, it ought to be me on the cross, shouldn't it? Shouldn't it be me being crucified? Shouldn't it be me that is dying? Shouldn't it be me that's decreasing? Shouldn't it be me that the one who lives in me might be able to be made manifest to the world? But if the world is seeing me, then the Son of God that I claim as my Savior is being crucified again, isn't He? For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, So if I would die, could someone else live? I don't mean that literally. I mean that spiritually. If I would die, could it be that the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints could be revealed? Could it be made apparent that there's been a work of God done in me if I were to die and Christ shine? Or is He on the cross and I'm shining? It's serious thoughts, it really is, and, and not pleasant to the flesh. But if the glory of the inheritance in you is going to be made apparent... It's not me that's making the decision. It's the onlookers that are coming to the judgment and to uh, uh, discern whether there's been a work of God in me or not. When that little maid said, you're one of them, and Peter cursed and said, I know him not, was there any evidence of a work of God done in Peter? Who's being crucified? Jesus is. So read with me a little farther. Romans 8. Romans chapter 8.
For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, if be so that you suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. Now we can put that way out yonder in the future when we're glorified in the end. But you know, Paul's talking to a church that's living in the world. A church that needs to show forth the glory of the inheritance in the saints now. A church that is surrounded by paganism, surrounded by people that believe in God. The devils believe in God, right? Our families believe in God. You know, our families say they believe in God. I had a man say to me on Friday morning, you know, I believe in God and try to do what's right most of the time. But do you know Jesus Christ? The devils believe in God. But I tell you, the suffering and the trouble and the sorrow that we go through brings about an opportunity for the glory of God in the saints to shine. The inheritance that we have, that the earnest of our inheritance, the Spirit of God dwelling in us, Paul said there in Colossians, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Is there trouble? <laughs> Absolutely. Paul says, for I, for, for I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Can I ask you this? Is it possible that the glory that's in us could be revealed in this world? Is it important for the glory that's in us to be revealed in the world to come? Or is it important that the glory that's in us be revealed in this world? That people could see that we have an inheritance. There's an inheritance in us that came from God in this world. Could they see the riches of His inheritance in the saints? Could could they see that in us? And that it might provoke them and draw them that they might desire and long to have what we have. The trials and the tribulations and the troubles and all of those things are to put us on display that the one that lives within us could be seen. That's what it's for. That the the inheritance that you have within you could be glorified. Not by you. By the world that sees what you have. Made apparent. Come to an opinion. The people in Galatia had come to the opinion that Paul had been worked on by God. How did that happen? By the glory that was revealed in Him. 
Let's look at the next verse. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe? According to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in heavenly places. What is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe? So, this power. You know, fully acquainted with the power. He wants the church at Ephesus to be acquainted with the power that's within them. Now that power is according to the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the same power that's in you is the same power that raised the Son of God from the dead. Get a hold of that now. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that dwells in you. So let's walk down through this verse just a little. What is the exceeding? So exceeding means to throw past or beyond or surpass. What is the surpassing? What is... Now, if you think about this, (laughs) what is the exceeding? What is a great power that exceeds to usward according to the working of the power that raised Christ from the... Is there a power... I don't want to go too far with this. But there was a power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. When the head was raised, the body was raised as well. You and I are the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? So when the head was raised from the dead, the body, you think Christ was raised without arms and legs and and, and a torso? That sounds silly naturally, doesn't it? But we are the body of Christ. We are the fulfillment of the body. He is the head and we are the body. Right? That's what the Bible says. So when God raised Him from the dead, you and I also got up with Him. So that same power that raised Him from the dead, according to that power, you have a power working within you that we might know the exceeding greatness. The exceeding to throw past or beyond or surpass, the greatness means the magnitude according to. So in conformity with, in accordance to, so as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, know this, that that same power of God that raised Him from the dead also raised us from the dead. I believe believe there are several different avenues we could go down right here. I believe we could look at this, that that power of God raised us from the dead. That power of God keeps us 
That power of God in our time of trouble and our time of sorrow and our time of, uh, of trial or tribulation or conflict, that same power of God that raised Him from the dead is working in you. What a wonderful thing. What a wonderful verse. So let's read a little more. What is the exceeding to throw past, go beyond, surpass... What is the surpassing magnitude of His power to usward who believe? Let me ask you this. How did you come to believe? Let's start there. How did you come to be a believer? Was there more? Was there more than hearing? Calling, a drawing. How about this verse? Larry said it. The power of God. So it worked according to, in a likeness, in line with, according to, or in the same type. He says this, as stated, as reported depending on, in conformity with, in agreement with, dependent upon, consistent with. (laughs) So consistent with the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, you became a believer. Oh preacher, that's not how it happened. How it happened was the preacher preached and I believed and God endued me with power. I want to remind you of this, that you were dead. You were dead. He was dead. I was dead too. You might say He raised Himself. That Jesus Christ raised Himself. Let me see if that's what the Bible says. I believe that the Bible said, buried with Him in baptism, wherein you are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised Him from the dead. He was dead because of my sin. You know why I was dead? Because of my sin. But the power of God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So now let's get this right. I believe it's a good thing to be a believer. I believe it's essential to believe. Is believing a spiritual work? Is it? Preacher, that's a natural work. So can the natural man receive the things of God? Cannot, can he, Kevin? So believing unto salvation is a spiritual work then, isn't it? But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. It'd be wonderful if I believed. It'd be wonderful if I would just believe the Gospel. But the honest God truth is, being a dead man spiritually, I do not have the capacity to believe the Gospel. I can believe naturally, but I can't believe the spiritual message. There must be a quickening. There must be a regeneration. 
How in the world can Lazarus come out of the tomb unless there's a power of God that raises him from the dead and regenerates him that he would be able to come? That he would be able to respond to the Word of God? Preacher, now he responded to the Word of God. He was dead and he stunk. Are you going to deny that he had to be made alive to respond? Are you going to deny that He had to be made alive to hear? Are you going to deny that there must be a spiritual work done in the dead man before he can believe and come and repent? You can't but repent a friend and then believe and then do all of that and then be made alive. You're dead. You have to be made alive first by the spiritual work of the power of God that you can believe, you can repent, you can come and believe the Word of God. There must be a quickening of the power of God in you. By the Word of God, Jesus didn't raise Himself from the dead. By the Word of God, God raised Him from the dead. Romans chapter 8. Reason with me. They that are in the flesh, can they please God? I was lost and undone, can I please God? I cannot please God. Romans chapter 8 verse 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded, fleshly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Well, I want to say this. If I can repent and I can believe without a work of God done to start with, what is quickening and regeneration. If I can already do that without the quickening of God, without the power of God bringing me from a dead state to a live state spiritually, what is regeneration if I can repent and believe before being born again? You can't do it, David. A dead man cannot respond to God. I am spiritually dead. I'm alive naturally. But the natural man does not receive the things of God. The natural man is not going to receive a spiritual message out of the Word of God. It's foolishness to him. Isn't that the Bible? God must do a work on the inside of you that you would believe, that you would repent, that you would respond. Go ahead. John 6 and 63. <laughs> yes. It is the Spirit that quickeneth. Yes. The flesh profit nothing. Yes. The yes. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And then he says, but they are some of you that believe not. True. Paul's going to go on to say in Romans, 
The carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. I believe it would be greatly pleasing to God for you to believe the gospel. But the truth is you can't believe the gospel until God quickens you. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 1 says, chapter 2 says, And you have He quickened. I realize this is in italicies, but we'll get to it in just a verse or two. And you hath He quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. Read verse 5 with me. Even when we were dead in sins, let me read 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, wherein His great love, wherein He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. When did God quicken Christ? On Sunday morning. Isn't that right? Sunday morning after the crucifixion on Friday, if that's the right timeline, on Sunday morning He raised Jesus from the dead. He quickened us together with Christ. So if Christ is the head and you're the body, right? That same quickening power that raised Him from the dead in the mind of God, our salvation happened before the foundation of the world. Our names were written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ was crucified before the foundation of the world. Preacher, this is hard saying. This ain't hard saying. I tell you what this is. This is spiritual Bible, and you're going to have to have a spiritual mind to think on it. The carnal mind wants to reject it. But you hath He quickened. God quickened us. In 1983, God Almighty in time quickened me. In 1983, God Almighty brought me from a place that I was dead and had no thought of God, no desire from God, nothing to do with God. I was a natural man, a carnal man, a man that was at enmity with God. And God, by the Spirit, come by and quickened me and brought me to the place that I could believe How did we become believers? It was by this same power that raised Jesus from the dead that you were brought to be a believer. And that power is in you. And what is the exceeding? If He raised the Son of God from the dead... Of what magnitude? How far past that power? He was innocent, right? Was he innocent? And I'm not trying to be silly, but just thinking, if he was innocent, did that take less power than it did to raise a dead man who was guilty? Did it take less power or more power to raise the head versus all of the body? How great is the body? John saw it said that it was a number that no man could number. You talk about an exceeding magnitude of power. 
this power that works in this little group right here tonight? Those words. And what is the exceeding surpassing to throw past or beyond greatness, magnitude of His power to usward? This power to usward who believe according to depending on and consistent with, in agreement with, the power of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So, the head got up. You and I got up as well. Romans chapter 6. Very familiar Scripture. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 4. Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together with Him in His death, so were we dead, we shall also in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin." What, what are we doing? I tell you, God help us to put on display the glory of God, of, uh, of that inheritance that's within you, that power of God that works within you, that power of God that raised you from the dead, that power of God that quickened you while you were dead in trespasses and sin, that power of God that raised Christ from the dead also brought you to life. You see, it's not just the preacher. It's not just the preaching. It's not the Spirit on the preacher, the Spirit that wrote down the words, but it's the Spirit of God working in you as well. How many times did you sit in church? under spiritual preaching, out of the Word that was written down by men as they were moved on by the Spirit of God. How many times did you sit under that preaching and it had no effect on you? But one day, God come by with the same power that He raised Jesus from the dead and He quickened you. And you believed. And you repented. And you are saved by that same power. Colossians, I'll hush after this. Colossians 2.11. We're complete in Him. Colossians 2.11. In whom also you were circumcised. The lady has been circumcised. They're believers, they've been circumcised. Not a circumcision of the flesh, but a circumcision of the heart. There's been a circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with Him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with Him through the faith of the operation. Who gave you that faith? Now you were dead. You didn't want anything to do with God. You didn't didn't want anything to do with church. You weren't interested in the gospel. But 
buried with Him in baptism, where also you are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God. Who gave us the faith? God gave us the faith. The gift of God. Who hath raised Him from the dead. And you. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has He quickened together with Him, having forgiven your trespass. When did He do that? Now, when did He do that? When in the mind of God did He forgive us? I'm not saying in my mind. I'm saying in the mind of God. In the Godhead, when were you forgiven? Amen. Before the foundation of the world. When did I come to that realization? 1983 for me. In time. Where's preaching done? In time. Where, where was the call of God in eternity past? Where was the choice of God eternity past? When were we forgiven? Before the foundation of the world, Christ died. All of those that are written in the Lamb's book of life that were written there before the foundation of the world, how in the world can that be? There's the vertical. There's the Godhead. There's the author and the finisher. And then there's the timeline. Anybody going to be saved without the gospel? No. Paul said, I endure all things for the elect that they might receive the salvation. That might obtain, I believe is the right word he said. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. When did that happen? When did they nail Jesus, the King of the Jews? When did they nail that? Pilate nailed that on his cross, did they not? And it was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. You want to call it the world? That was the whole speaking world in that day. It was at Jerusalem. They could all read. You know what was nailed there? My sin. Thank God my sin was nailed there. My, 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 my debt, my debt, my sin debt was nailed to the cross of Calvary. He was raised from the dead. And I got up with him in the mind and in the eternal purposes of God. Thank God for that.